Scriptures. I would invite you to stand this, uh, this evening for the reading of God's Word. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The title of tonight's message is Rejoice in This. And I must be honest to begin with that I'm not going to go too far into the demons and, the, and, the, and all that stuff. Uh, if you want to talk to somebody who knows a lot about that, I'd point you to Brother Bill. Uh, <laughs> a chuckle out of Brother Bill. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on, on that segment of the scripture. I will go there a little bit, but not spend too much time. So if you come here and you're expecting to hear, oh, Brother Shiloh is going to preach about the demons. No, I'm not. Uh, and so you can go and, and, uh, and go have another conversation with that about with somebody else. But rejoice in this. Uh, the main part of our sermon is Jesus saying, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And so this evening, we're going to look at a segment of Scripture in which Jesus is going to send out other disciples, is how they are named in Scripture, other disciples. And so these uh, disi other disciples will be sent out in pairs, and people were going uh, to receive or not receive this truth that they were going to bring. And so Jesus was preparing to go into these different places in his ministry, and he was sending out these pairs to prepare the way for him. Much like John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Isaiah prophesied about John uh, being the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John's mission was prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus. John went about preaching, repent and be baptized. He went about preaching about Jesus and the coming Messiah. And so these disciples, these other disciples would go ahead of Jesus and they would tell whoever would listen uh, about Jesus. They would tell whoever would stop and listen to him about the Savior that was coming, the Messiah, who was amongst them now. And we might ask this question, who were the 70? Who were the others? Uh, we have no clue who they were. We just know that they were followers of Jesus. They were simply others. Others' disciples uh, who Jesus sent out to preach his word. Uh, just a chapter before, in chapter 9, verse 1, it said, and he called the 12 together. And so these are his 12 uh, disciples, his 12 closest uh, friends, his 12 closest allies. Uh, and he says, and gave them the power and authority over all the demons and, and to heal diseases. And so these 12 disciples are sent out uh, preparing uh, for the way of Jesus. Uh, and in Jesus, uh, in verse 10, seven, in chapter 10, verse 17, is preparing the others for their mission, the others for what they are to do. And so in the middle of these two accounts of Luke, we see Jesus ask a question to the twelve. And the others would have to answer this question also. And then a question that, that you and I must answer also. And we see this in, in Luke chapter 9, 18 through 20. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples, and so this is speaking of the twelve, joined him and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that the one of the old prophets has risen again. 
And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And so Peter, in true Peter fashion, uh, speaks up for the group and he identifies who Jesus is. He confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God. A belief that Peter would cling to for the rest of his life. A belief that Peter would give up his life for. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Matthew recorded it this way. That Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A confession of who Jesus was. A true confession. Peter believed it with all of his heart of who Jesus was. The Messiah. The long-awaited one. The Lamb that come and take away the sin of the world. This is Jesus, the Messiah. And so the disciples knew the truth about Jesus. They knew the truth about who he was and what he came to do, uh, even though they might get confused along the way about actually what he would do. But they did know that he was the Messiah, the long-awaited one, who would come to take away this sin. Jesus then tells them that because they know who he is and they believe that he is indeed the Son of God, They must be obedient to him, and they must follow him. And we see this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So what Jesus was asking them to do was not an easy task. Uh, Jesus was asking them to give up their own life, give up their own desires, give up their own wants. Uh, Jesus uh, told them, "If, if you desire to come after me, you must deny yourself. The very essence of their life is now to be built upon this relationship that they have with Jesus. Their life is to be built upon it. Dying to oneself is not easy. Uh, Giving up your life is not easy. Giving up your pridefulness is not easy. But here Jesus is asking his disciples, telling his disciples, if you want to come after me, you must give up your life. You must abandon your own desires, your own wants, and come after me. It can be hard to let go of these things in our life. Even for us today, it can be hard for us to let go of our desires and our wants It can be hard for for us to to take up our cross daily and follow after Jesus. Uh, We have a world that's pressing in on us and telling us to follow after it. We have a a sin nature that's telling us to follow after it. We have this flesh that we're we're still uh, chained to that's telling us to follow after it. And Jesus is telling his disciples that you must deny yourself and follow after me. It can be hard, a hard thing to do. But Jesus promises this gift of eternal life to those who do follow after him. He promises them an eternal home in heaven. And so Jesus tells them before they go out with the good news of the gospel. That's the message that they're going to preach. What are they going to talk about? Well, they're going to preach about Jesus. They're going to tell about Jesus and his coming. That it will not be an easy task. And we see this in Luke 9, 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. 
but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of these scriptures that, that I'm referencing tonight, you've heard uh, over and over again, and you've probably heard them in their own sermon form because they could all preach uh, you know, just by themselves. But I'm tie, I want to tie in Luke chapter 9 with where we're going with G, what Jesus says to the others. And so Jesus says, uh, is talking and having these different encounters with these different people, uh, and he's being confronted uh, with, their, with their questioning or maybe their... Um, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so Jesus knew the heart of the man that was, uh, that was saying that to him. And Jesus didn't have the comfort of a home. Uh, Jesus did not. He did not have a place to lay his head. Uh, Jesus was a, a sojourner, a traveler on this world. And he was telling that man that said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Then you're going to have to give up your worldly possessions. You're going to have to give up your worldly comforts. Jesus told the man that, was, uh, that the preaching of the gospel is more important than in the inheritance that he would receive from his father. The preaching of the gospel was more important than when his dad died and he would receive some lump sum of money. And Jesus said, uh, no, go and preach the gospel. He told the other that you can't look back while you're plowing. Uh, anybody that's ever uh, ran a, a tiller or been on a tractor or a lawnmower knows what happens when you look back. Your line's not going to be as straight as what it could be. You're going to be out of, out of whack. And Jesus is saying, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling this man, you must look forward and not look back. He wanted to go say goodbye to his family. He wanted to go say goodbye to those in his house, maybe even his friends. And Jesus said, uh, no, go and preach the gospel. You can't look back. No one is fit who looks back who is fit for the kingdom of God. A life in Christ is a life full of abandonment and full of commitment. Not a little commitment or just some commitment, but full commitment. Jesus, when he was telling his disciples to go out and preach this good news, when he was telling the others to go out and preach this good news, he was calling for full abandonment. He was calling for full commitment of their lives. And Jesus calls us to that life of full commitment, that life of full abandonment. Too many times we see uh, believers, and we maybe even myself is guilty of this, of not being fully committed to the gospel of Christ. Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and follow after him. And so Jesus is confronting his disciples. He can, he's confronting the others. He's confronting these three different individuals about what a life in Christ takes. The life that we have in Christ and the full abandonment that we can experience, the full commitment that we can experience is hard, but it's worth it. The kingdom of heaven is worth it. Preaching the gospel is worth it. Matthew 13, 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so this parable relates the kingdom of heaven to a field. And a man found a great treasure in that field and he sold everything he had just so he could buy that field because he knew the treasure that was within it. The gospel should convey as this in our lives. 
We have found the good news of life after death. We have found the good news that we are not alone in this world, that Jesus is with us, that we are not forsaken nor abandoned, that Jesus goes before us, that he is closer than a friend. We have found the good news. We have found the treasure in the field. Jesus gave up his life on the cross, and he did it for the joy that was set before him, knowing what his sacrifice would bring. Jesus knew that the cross was worth it. Jesus knew that it was all worth it because he had you and I in mind and anyone else who would come to him through faith. Eternal life for those of us who trust in him. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't call us to halfway commitment. He doesn't call us to halfway abandonment. He calls us to follow after him. Take up your cross daily and follow after me, is what he said. He tells those that he is about to send out that there will be difficulties along the way. And we see this in Luke chapter 10, verse 3. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house, and if a son of peace is there... Your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such thing as is set before you. And heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so these disciples are going out and Jesus is saying, Hey, when they accept you, when they receive you, say the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. So even those who would not receive the gospel, Jesus says, Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. They missed it. It was right there. And they missed it. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And so lambs in the midst of wolves is the description that Jesus gives his disciples before he sends them out. Uh, Jesus was a great pep talker. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to send you out in the midst of wolves. As lambs in the midst of wolves. So he gives the description of the environment, the hardships that they're going to face along the way. He gives the description of, of what they're to do. Go and heal the sick. Sending out others was what Jesus was going to do too, not only for his disciples. He tells them to not take anything with them so they would be leaving the comfort of their possessions behind. Don't take your sandals. Don't take your knapsack. Don't take a change of clothes. Just go. He tells them that there would be those who would receive their message, which is worth celebrating, and we'll see that here in a minute. But he also says there will be those who do not receive the message of the gospel. And we too are, are tasked with this great task of sharing the gospel. Of laying our lives down at the feet of Jesus and saying, Lord, use me. Lord, use me to share your gospel. Use me to love my neighbors. Lord, use me. And so these, the 12 disciples were being sent out to be used by God. And then the 70 others were being sent out to be used by God. And so in verse 17, we see the response of the mission. 
in verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so we, this picture, we see this picture of, of the 70 coming back. And, and I envision it uh, as, as soldiers that have just went off to war, and they come back, and they're telling the, 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 the leader, this is what happened. Uh, now, I'm not a, a veteran and uh, never served in the military, and maybe some of you have, and, and you might have an instance like that where you went out into a battle, went out into a, had a mission, and you come back and you're excited about what has just taken place because you're still alive, number one. Uh, but number two, that the mission has been accomplished. And so these 70 come back, and, and they're full of joy. They're full of excitement because of what has been done, what they have witnessed. They come back. And their hearts are almost exploding is their response to the mission. They were full of joy because of what they have witnessed. They went out being witnesses for Christ. They come back telling Jesus about what has happened. Well, Jesus knew it already what was going to happen. He wouldn't have sent them ahead if he didn't know what was going to happen. They went out in the power of Christ. I think it's very important to remember that the disciples uh, didn't go with their own power. In the 70s, the 70 that went out didn't go within their own power. They went in the power of Christ. It was Christ that allowed them to go. It was Christ that allowed them to, to have the boldness to preach the gospel. It was Christ that was moving in the hearts of those that would receive their word. They went out in the power of the Christ. And even the demons did not stand a chance. There had been souls that were released from the grip of Satan and come to know Jesus as their Savior. You know, if I said I wasn't going to focus on the demons, but I am going to focus on those that come to know Christ. Souls that come to know Christ. What a time to be alive here. You've been commissioned by Jesus to go out and do all these marvelous things. And then you get to come back and tell Jesus about it. Oh, what a time to be alive for those 70 that went out. Full of joy, smile. They're probably beaten up and they're dusty and they're tired. But still they come back and they have a smile on their face. The response to the mission. I envisioned while I was uh, preparing for this what our church would be like if that were us. We have been commissioned to go out and share the gospel. We have been. Each and every one of us who accepted Jesus as our Savior have been called into this great commission to go and share the good news of Jesus. Oh, what if we came back in on Sundays and Brother Rich didn't even have time to preach because we were just telling about all the souls that have come to know Jesus as their Savior. Celebrating, full of joy because of the response of the mission. The Great Commission commands us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur said, Nothing matters as much as freeing souls from the domain of Satan. You want to talk about spiritual warfare? Leading people to the Lord. He said, And that we bear the power of Christ over the forces of hell through the proclamation of the gospel. We bear the power of Christ over the forces of hell through the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is worth it. The 70 returned sharing their stories, and they did it full of joy. For what they had witnessed. For what had been done. They had seen lives changed. 
They had healed the sick. They had cast out demons. The gospel and what it means in our lives is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating when someone comes to know the Lord. It's worth celebrating when someone comes for baptism and is baptized. It's worth celebrating when that one that's gone away comes home. It's worth celebrating. We should have joy. Just as the disciples had joy when they came back. And they told Jesus about what had been done. Then next we see the protection of the messengers in verse 18 and 19. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so I had to look into this scripture. And uh, certainly Jesus did see Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, Jesus witnessed that. Uh, someone uh, said about this scripture that, that as they were going out and preaching the gospel, as people were coming to know Christ, as uh, souls were being saved, as demons were being cast out, uh, what does lightning do? It, it comes down, and then it comes down, and then it comes down. That Jesus maybe even witnessed, or which we know that he knew what was going to happen, what was taking place as the 70 went out. Then Jesus says, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We see the protection of the messengers. Jesus tells them that they will be able to defeat the forces of the enemy and that the power of the enemy cannot stand against the power of Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans 16, 20, that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. 2 Thessalonians says, The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And so truth in God's word that the enemy has no place, that the enemy has been defeated, the enemy surely has fallen like lightning, that he is not powerful when it comes to Christ, that the gospel is stronger than he is. The enemy doesn't stand a chance when it comes to the power of the gospel. And the ones who go out by the gospel who are under the care of the gospel because they're under the care of God Almighty. Whether we live or whether we die, we are under the protection of Jesus. Through Christ, we have the victory. The victory's already been won. We can go out into this world and maybe face hardships. We can face persecution. But our lives don't stop there because the victory's already been won. Jesus defeated death on the cross, and Jesus has defeated Satan. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Lastly, we see the promise to the messengers. So we have the response of the mission, the protection of the messengers, and we see the promise to the messengers. In verse 20, Jesus said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in this. 
And so they've just done all these marvelous things. They've just gone out and done all this, uh, all this stuff that we can only imagine what they were doing. And Jesus says, don't even worry about that. Don't even look at that. Rejoice in this. Rejoice in this, that your names are recorded in heaven, that your name is written down in heaven. Oh, what a powerful statement. So the messengers come back. They're joyful because of what they've, what they've seen, what they've done through Jesus. And Jesus redirects their attention to what the gospel has done in their own lives. He points it back to them. Your name is written in the book of life. Yeah, you've done all these miracles. You've done all these cool things. But your life is a miracle because you have been born again. The gospel had changed their lives. They were focused on the miracles, the healing. They were focused on the power that was displayed. And Jesus tells them to rejoice that their own names are recorded in heaven. Rejoice in this. The promise that this was not the end of their life. That this was not the end of their journey. Uh, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, oh, you think that was cool? Wait till you get to heaven. It's almost as if he was saying that. You think that was awesome? Just wait till you see my kingdom. Rejoice in this. Surely something rejoicing about. If we don't have anything to rejoice about in our lives, we can rejoice that our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. That we can rejoice in that. God had revealed his truth to his followers that Jesus was the Messiah and they accepted that truth and they gave their lives for it. They gave their lives to Christ and he gave them the gift of eternal life. A promise that we too have access to through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A salvation we can rejoice in and a promise that we can hold on to. Rejoice in this. That your name is written down in heaven. Have you ever made a decision to follow after Jesus? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, then your name is not written down in heaven. But through faith in Jesus, you could come to know him as your Savior. That he paid the sin debt for you. And that you can have eternal life. And that you have the promise that the messengers had. The, the hope of heaven, and that we can rejoice in it. Rejoice in this. Let us pray.